Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we have been looking at a, at a series of three short one another commands, commands that Peter gives to us that we might love one another. That's the first one, that we might be hospitable towards one another. That's the second. And then thirdly, this morning, Peter commands us to serve one another with gifts that Jesus gives to his church. So these are, this is the last of these three one another commands. And they really build on, on one another. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, giving our full attention, faith, and obedience to the very word of God. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. At some point in your junior high or maybe elementary education, you probably learned about the water cycle. The water cycle where the oceans are heated by the sun and water evaporates and forms clouds. The clouds drift over land and the clouds rain on the land and then the rivers bring the water back to the ocean in a self-replenishing but also oversimplified uh, cycle of water that God has designed for our planet uh, and for its preservation. And as a cycle, it ends where it started. It starts with the ocean and it ends with the ocean. And as we come to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we should see the same kind of pattern. Peter describes a cyclical or circular movement to us where God, is the, where God gives spiritual gifts to his people. Those people serve one another with those gifts, and in so doing, they bring glory to God who gave them the gifts. So it begins with God giving gifts, and it ends with God receiving glory from his people who use those gifts. So let's study these verses, verses 10 and 11 from 1 Peter chapter 4, under three headings, or three points for an outline. In the first place, consider the source. Number one is the source. Peter says in verse 10 that Christians receive gifts. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And then Peter calls us stewards of God's varied grace. So if we've received something, and if as stewards we've been entrusted with something, where did these somethings, where did these gifts come from? What is the source of the gifts that we have received? What is the source of the grace of God of which we have been made stewards? What is the source of the gifts which we have received? And to answer that question, we're going to briefly turn to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4. But before we start reading in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see that Ephesians chapter 4 is quoting from Psalm 68. Okay? So in Psalm 68, I'll just describe it to you. What we see in Psalm 68 is God's people are imprisoned and captured beneath a mountain. And God goes to fight on behalf of his people. As a glorious and victorious warrior, God goes to fight against all his people's enemies. And he defeats all his people's enemies. And he brings out his people from captivity. And he ascends to, the, to his own mountain, to the mountain of God. So Psalm 68 is God uh, gloriously defeating his enemies, freeing his people, and ascending to the mountain of God. Ephesians 4 Paul quotes from Psalm 68, and he tells us this is describing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 13. Therefore it says, and it is Psalm 68, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So here we see that Paul interprets Psalm 68 as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who lived and died and lived again, and then he ascended to heaven and poured out gifts upon his people. Let me explain that in more detail. Finish this phrase for me. To the victor, the spoils. To the victor, the spoils. And Jesus Christ is a victor. He is a conquering warrior. What was his battle? What was his fight? And what did he do? Well, who is Jesus Christ? In the first place, Jesus is God in the flesh. There are many who believe that there is a God, and that's a starting point of truth. But the scriptures reveal to us God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one true God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son, the eternal Son, very God, became man, truly God and truly man. Why did God take on flesh for us? That he might live a perfect life of obedience as a pure and sinless man, and so that he might offer himself as a sacrifice, give up his, blo- his body, and shed his blood, and endure bitter sorrows and suffering in his soul in our place as a substitute for sinners. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who lived and died to save his people from their sins by his obedience and by his dying, or as some have said, his doings and his dying. But Jesus was not conquered by death when he died on the cross. Jesus conquered death because he rose from the dead on the third day as the scriptures had foretold and as he himself had promised. And when he rose from the dead, what did he do? After spending some time with his disciples and his people, he ascended to heaven. After defeating his enemies and the enemies of his people, he ascended to heaven, to the mountain of God. Well, let's keep reading in Ephesians 4, because after Jesus ascended, then what did he do? 
Peter says, quoting from Psalm 68, or Paul says, quoting from Psalm 68, he gave gifts to men. When Jesus ascended, after living and dying and living again, that is being resurrected, he ascended to heaven in his humanity to be seated at the right hand of God. And in this glory of ascension and session, he gave gifts to men. Paul continues in Ephesians 4, uh, now in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, he poured out gifts upon his church to establish it and to build it up to maturity. And it was upon his ascension and his session when he was glorified that he, because to the victor the spoils, that he pours out those spoils, he pours out upon his church gifts to establish them and build them up. And we begin to see this after his ascension at Pentecost. Do you remember what Peter himself said at Pentecost? What was happening? Uh, Jews were speaking in languages that they did not know. They were speaking in the languages of other countries, of people who were there present in known human languages. And everyone was confused, saying, what is this? What's going on? This is not normal. And Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, he said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, he's ascended and sat down. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter says these gifts are evidence of Jesus' ascension and his session, his sitting down, his glorification. He has poured out on his church gifts for their establishment and their building up. So in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, to come back to our text itself, when Peter says, as each has received a gift, what is the, the background behind the receiving of these gifts? What is the source of the reception of these gifts? It is Jesus who is the victor, and to the victor the spoils, he led the captives free, and he has poured out gifts upon his church to establish it and to build it up. What is the source of God's varied grace that has been lavished upon us and of which we are stewards? The source is the doing and dying, the life and death and new life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our head. He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord, our love, and our liege. And he has given us these gifts to establish us and build us up. He is the source of of the varied grace of which we are stewards. When, some, when someone gives you something and you say, oh, where'd this come, come from? And they say, oh, it was on the discount shelf at Walmart. It doesn't mean a whole lot to you. <laughs> but if you say, where did this come from? And they say, oh, we, we were traveling and I found this and I just thought it would be perfect for you. That's something. If you say, where did this come from? They say, I made it especially for you. That means something, doesn't it? When there's more of a story behind a gift. Well, when we think of the gifts that we have received in the church, 
We ought to know the story. We ought to know the source. It was Jesus' literal blood and sweat and tears. It was Jesus' perfect life and his perfect death and his glorious and victorious resurrection and ascension and session in heaven that is the source of all of the spiritual gifts that we have received in the church and that the church has been receiving throughout all of its history. Our gifts are not just some abstract thing. Well, people have gifts in the church. Rather, Jesus bled and died to win them for us, and he has poured them out upon us because he loves us. Well, this brings us to our second point in the outline, which is the servers. The first point was the source. Secondly, the servers. And we're going to spend more time on this point. It will have three subpoints. Before we get into those three subpoints, let me just ask the question, why did Jesus give us these gifts? What is the purpose? We've said the establishment of the church, the building up of the church. Peter says in our text, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Jesus poured out these gifts upon his church so that we might serve one another. All Christians are servers. Now consider three things under this heading with me. Number one, we are stewards. We've said that we are receptors, receivers. We have received a gift from Jesus Christ who won it for us and gives it to us. And we know that the purpose is to serve one another. But I want to emphasize here that Peter calls us stewards or administrators of God's varied grace. Jesus has won God's grace for us. He's obtained God's grace for us. He pours it out upon us. And we are stewards of that grace, stewards of the gifts that Jesus has given unto us. Now, by definition, a steward has the goods of someone else. If they're your goods, you're not a steward, you're the owner. A steward or administrator, by definition, is not the owner of the goods over which they are uh, an administrator or a steward. So we have received God's varied grace. We are stewards of God's varied grace. And by definition, a steward is therefore responsible to their master, responsible to the one who gave them those gifts and made them a steward. As Christians, therefore, each and every one of us needs to have a mindset, I am required by my master, Jesus Christ, to make use of, of the gifts that he has given unto me because I am a steward and I am responsible before him to use what he has given me for the purposes for which he entrusted them to me. So we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, am I making myself useful in the church? Am I a server? Am I stewarding and using my strengths and resources for the good of the others. Think about this with me. God gave to the nation of Israel a holy land with holy laws and promises of divine blessing, all of which were intended to produce a fruitful vineyard of good works ready to receive the sun. 
But what did the stewards of the old covenant do? They wasted all their gifts. They rejected the son, didn't they? We are the stewards of the new covenant with better gifts and better promises. Will our master be pleased with us if he goes into another country and tarries for a time and we just play around with what he has given to us, doing nothing with it or abusing it or using it for our own ends and purposes? We're stewards. It's not up to us of what we get and how we use it and why we are using it. We have received the, the multi-form, the varied grace of God from Jesus Christ that we might serve one another, not for our own ends, not for our own purposes, and we have no right to use these gifts for our own ends and purposes. So you have to ask yourself, in what ways do I serve the others? In what way do I serve the church And if you don't have an answer to that question, or if you don't have a good answer to that question, then are you being a server and are you being a steward? Well, you are a steward, like it or not. Are you being a good steward? That's what Peter says as good stewards of God's very grace. We're all stewards, but are we good stewards? Are we using the gifts we've received to serve? When there's no accountability and no supervision, there's little or no production. In other words, when the cat's away, the mice will play. If you tell your child, clean your room, and I'll be back in two hours to check it, how long will it take them to clean the room? (laughs) Two hours? (laughs) And then they'll be at the last minute, oh no, it's too late, because when there's no direct supervision, there's no production, oftentimes. Well, we must not fall into that trap as Christians. We need to recognize we are stewards. We are responsible for the gifts and the grace that Jesus has given to us. He did not bleed and sweat and die for us to just play around with the very grace of God that he won for us. Peter has also said before these verses that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded and be vigilant, be watchful, which is the same exact kind of teaching and context that Jesus taught these same things in. To say, when the master goes to another country, you don't know the hour of when he's going to return, so watch therefore, Jesus said. Peter gives us the same teaching as good stewards The end of all things is at hand. Be good stewards of God's grace so that when Jesus returns, he can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Or will he find us negligent rather than diligent and ashamed of what he has given unto us? We are stewards. Secondly, the second sub point. God's grace is varied And our service is relative. God's grace is varied and our service is relative. This sounds like a strange sentence. It is a kind of strange sentence. So let me explain it. When we say we are stewards of God's grace, which Jesus won for us, the natural question is going to be, but of what gift am I a steward? Or the common question, what is my gift? And to answer that question, we need to have a proper perspective that avoids certain common errors in Christian thinking. 
Some of the errors are the idea that unless you're in front of people, unless people can see what you're doing, you're not serving. Unless you're an officer in the church, you're not gifted and you're not serving. Unless you're a teacher in the church, you're not gifted and you're not serving. None of which is true. Peter tells us that Christians have a diversity of gifts. God's varied grace is the language, or multiform grace. So God gives a diversity of kinds of gifts. We shouldn't think that all spiritual gifts look exactly the same, and the way they look is public, prominent service in front of other people. No, God's grace is varied, and Peter says there are some who speak, and there are some who don't speak, and yet all are serving, all are stewards of God's grace. So no one should ever diminish in their minds the value of their service and the value of their gifts simply because they're different from other ones. Can you think of a place where one of the apostles makes this argument in a larger way to say God gives many gifts to his church and they're all important and necessary? That's the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I would encourage you to read that chapter on your own later today. I do want to read from it just a few verses, so please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. Peter just mentions the varied grace of God. Paul goes into much more detail, which we don't have time to read. We're just going to read a portion. First Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in, everyth- in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We'll stop our reading there. Now you may remember that Paul goes on to compare the church to the human body. And to say that every part of the body is important and it is needed for the normal and healthy operation of the body. And so the foot and the hand, the arm and the leg, the head and the torso, every part of the body and every sense of the body is needed. And the foot doesn't say because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. The eye doesn't say because I'm not a foot, I'm not a part of the body. We need all of the parts. We need each of their senses and their functions. And so also... As we return to our text in 1 Peter 4, when we receive gifts from God and they are varied in their forms, each person should recognize the value and the importance of the gift that they have received from the Lord and that it is for the common good, as Paul said, or as Peter said, use it to serve one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Our Lord said that giving a cup of cold water is service. The Lord replied to the question of when did we serve you? He replied with when you visited me in jail, when you fed me when I was sick, when you helped me. It was me you were serving. In those simple acts of service, as simple as they seemed to the eyes, they were important and valuable, as different as they may be, and as invisible as they may be to the rest of the church. Now, I believe that the members of our church have a fairly healthy understanding of these errors and 
probably don't fall into them as much as others might perhaps in other churches, but there are other errors that we need to avoid, which you may fall into more easily. If you want to know how you are gifted spiritually, there are churches that will have you take a spiritual giftedness test. You may have taken one before. I was speaking to a pastor a few years ago who was shocked that I had never taken one uh, because of the background he had been brought up with. with, That was everything, uh, that you take a spiritual gifts test and it, it tells you what your gifts are so that you know and you can be put to work in such things. He, he had moved past that. He, he was laughing about it. He was just surprised I had never had one in my life to compare our experiences. And those kinds of tests are just common psychology that approaches spiritual giftedness in terms of personality traits as though they're the attributes of a video game character. In a video game, your character has certain attributes. You know, this is their strength, and this is their speed, and their stamina, and such things, and it's, it's fixed, isn't it? This is my character. This is my person. Or in a, in a story, oftentimes, uh, different characters are very identifiably distinct with distinct characteristics. And people love to think that way. People love Myers-Briggs tests and Enneagrams and such things that they, they actually like to be labeled. They want a number to be assigned to them. They want letters to be assigned to them. They want to be laned and labeled into a particular way of, of thinking about themselves. Stop. Don't do that. When it comes to spiritual gifts, don't think that way. Don't think of a resume. These are my spiritual gifts. Why? Because while God's grace is varied, while there are different gifts, and one could say they're more gifted in one way than another, that is true. While that's true, our service is relative. Our service is relative to the needs of the church around us. So here's the solution. Instead of asking, what is my gift, which you then put on your resume and label yourself, it is better to ask, what needs can I supply? What needs can I supply? This way of thinking makes your service relative to the needs of the church rather than being determined by some rigid personality attribute that you supposedly possess. You see, thinking of spiritual gifts in terms of labeled and fixed markers is going to make someone say, well, that's not my gift, so I'll let someone else do that. That's their gift. And it will make you think, this is who I am, and this is what I do, and this is what I can do. And then you have a very narrow and self-centered perspective of your spiritual giftedness. But if you ask, what needs can I supply in the church? There will be some needs you can supply, and there will be some needs you can't supply, and therein lies your giftedness or non-giftedness. But now you're seeking to supply the needs of others, and even your gifts become multiform or varied as Christ works through you to serve his church. So while it is appropriate to ask, what are the gifts that Jesus has given to me of which I am a steward, we should not ask that question in such a way that labels and limits us into this narrow way of thinking of fixed attributes and fixed gifts. This is my gift. Because what happens? Well, one of the things that happens is people will get into a rut and a routine of doing the same thing because that's their gift. Well, her gift is to bring the napkins every week. And that's all they do, 
and a pox be upon you if you bring the napkins that week, because that's their spiritual gift, apparently. You may laugh at that, but people really do that. No, 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 that's what I do. Because then it's about you doing what you want to do and like to do, as opposed to what needs can I supply? And if they need napkins, guess what? You can bring napkins, that's okay. But you see how people lane and limit themselves by thinking, these are my spiritual gifts and I can put them on a list or a resume of sorts. Don't think that way. Yes, the gifts of God are diverse and not everyone has all the same gifts, but the best way to think of your giftedness is what needs can I supply? So God's grace is varied, but our service is relative. And when you ask what needs can I supply, then you're actually going to be using your gifts But if you say, what are my gifts, then it's going to be an on and off switch, which you will only turn on when there's something you see that you can do that you want to do, which is not really going to serve the church. It's rather self-serving. Thirdly, we are servers, but this third sub-point is that God serves through us all. God serves through us all. Peter makes an important point that encourages us as servers of one another. He tells us that as we serve one another, it is God who is serving us through one another. Notice with with me in verse 11, he says, Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So if one speaks, he is to speak God's words. And if one serves, they are to serve with God's strength. So think about this with me. If you hear the person who speaks with God's words, who is actually speaking to you? It's God. So a minister, for example, may speak the word of God, but whose word is it? It's God's word. So when a minister speaks to you and proclaims the word of God faithfully, who is speaking? God is speaking to you through the ministry of his word and the ministers of his word. Not exclusively the ministers, that's just the prime example. When a brother or a sister speaks the word of God to you faithfully, it is God's word speaking to you. So also when someone serves you, And they do it with love and sincerity. Who is serving you? It's God who supplies the strength that they might love you and that they might take the time out of their day and use their resources and their energy to give unto you. It is God who supplies the strength, so it is God who has served you through the other person. God serves his people through his people. He speaks to his people through his people. He serves his people through his people. Now, there are pitfalls in speaking of every member ministry, which can flatten out the nature of the ordained ministry with all spiritual giftedness, but another pitfall would be to fail to see the importance and the reality of the giftedness of all the church and the way that God serves his people through his people, all of them. You see, Reformed Baptists twitch a little when you say, this is my ministry. They go, what did you say? (laughs) This is my ministry. But if we just sort of massage and adjust our vocabulary a little bit, we can say, this is my service. 
which is really the same word. This is my service, or how can I serve the church? God serves his church. God ministers to his church through all of us. It's not just the suits and ties, the ministers, big capital M, that serve the church or that God uses. He uses all of his church. Peter does not say, and you ministers, you speak with the oracles of God and you minister with the strength that God supplies. He says, as each one has received a gift. Now, are ministers ordained because there is a certain giftedness in them for a certain task? Yes, but that does not negate the general giftedness of the church or God serving the church through the church, all the church. You may think that your service in the church is small, but if it's God serving others through you, what's small about that? This is an encouragement to diverse service for diverse needs. God is all-sufficient, and it is he who speaks through us and serves through us. A member sent you a meal? God fed you. A member encouraged you? God encouraged you. A pastor preached the word of God to you? God spoke to you. You see, which is, uh, as a side note, which is an, another exhortation to, to we who are ministers or we who preach, we are to speak as the oracles of God, thus saith the Lord. You don't need my advice. You don't need my opinions. You don't need my personal stories or jokes, as bad as they are. You don't need them. What you need is the word of God and the force of thus saith the Lord behind a sermon or a private teaching and counseling. And when that happens, it is God who speaks and God who serves and God who helps and this helps us to persevere in serving one another because God supplies strength. Christian service never ends because the needs never end. If our service is relative to needs, there will always be needs in the church. Therefore, there ought to always be service in the church. How can we persevere with that? Well, this is actually the third one another command. What are we supposed to do? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Be hospitable to one another and as you've received gifts, use them to serve one another. How can I do that? By the strength that God supplies. If we serve one another with the strength that God supplies, we can do this. Think about a pastor who has to speak his own words every Sunday. Uh, I would quickly exhaust myself, and you would quickly be exhausted if you just came to hear Sam talk every Sunday his own words, because I would say the same things and some might be interested, but most would not, and even those who are interested would soon lose interest because it's just Sam's words. Who cares? The best I can do is green eggs and ham. If it was up to me to speak my own words, I would quickly exhaust myself. If it was up to us to serve with our own strength, we would quickly exhaust ourselves. But if the minister is to speak the oracles of God, and if we are to serve with the strength that God supplies, will that last? Will that endure? As long as the needs are, absolutely. God is all-sufficient, and he serves through us all. Let us continue to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, and to serve one another. Thirdly, and lastly, our third and final point, is the scope. The scope. When we use this word in English, it can ironically have two opposite meanings. Scope can refer to a very broad view of something. That's not what we're talking about here. Scope can also mean a very 
focused and specific and narrow and intentional view of something, like a scope on a, on a rifle or a telescope or a microscope that zooms in on one very particular thing. That's what I mean by scope. It all comes down to this. It all zooms in to this. What is the scope of our Christian service? Where does it end? Peter tells us, he says, in order that, here's your purpose, here's your function, here's your scope. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is the scope? Where is it all going? It is to bring glory to God. Our culture loves superhero movies, and they're pretty fun. A normal person receives abnormal powers. What happens when someone gets superpowers? They become the, the demigods of the culture. They become little, little deities that are worshipped by all the people. Oh, there goes Superman. Actually, I don't like Superman. There goes Spider-Man. I don't really care about Spider-Man. There goes Batman. Well, he doesn't have any powers. He just has utility belt. But he's cool. People worship these, these figures, don't they? Their new attributes make them applauded and admired and revered by those who see them. Jesus is the victor. To the victor, the spoils. He pours out his gifts upon us in the church. What do we do with those gifts? Do we, do we strut and say, look at me? No. The scope of our service is to bring glory to God. It is not that we might be seen. It is not that we might be praised. It is not that we might be applauded or admired. It is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ who gave us these gifts. So those who speak must be warned never to speak in such a way that tries to gain the loyalty of people's hearts to you. And those who serve must never serve in such a way that tries to put people in your debt or, or get their loyalty and their admiration for you. I want them to listen to me or I want them to see me and to know that I'm the one who does this. All of that is horribly, horribly wrong. What's the source of our gifts? Jesus Christ. What's the scope of our gifts? Jesus Christ. We take what he has given us as faithful stewards and we hand it right back to him as what is rightly his. In fact, he's the one who gave these gifts to us. How could we boast about them? He's the one who serves through us. How could we boast about them? All we can say is we have done our duty. Praise be your name. And if he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We rejoice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Who can boast about what they've received? We didn't gain it. Was it my blood and my sweat and my tears and my death and my resurrection and my ascension and my session that brought these gifts to me or to anyone in the church? Of course not. So how can I boast about it? Were they my words that I spoke that really benefited anyone? My words won't benefit anyone. God's words will. So what is there to boast for the minister? There's always a, a strange tension for a preacher when someone says, oh, that was such a great sermon. You think to yourself, okay, not, thanks, I guess. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. That's what makes a sermon good when the word impacts the people and encourages them or challenges them or commands them or, or refreshes them. 
because it was God's word. So there's no glory for a pastor. This is that cycle we mentioned at the beginning. The water replenishes the water. But here we have to make a distinction because all metaphors break down when you come to God. That when God is glorified by our Christian service, God's not getting something that he lost. And we're not adding to him something that he didn't have. God is blessed in and of himself forever and ever. Amen. And so our glorifying of God is increasing the sound and the sight of his glory on earth. That others might see it. That others might see the love that we show to, other, to others. That others might experience the love that we show to one another. And so our glorifying God is not somehow filling up God or giving him something that he doesn't have in and of himself. Rather, it is declaring it with a louder voice and a clearer picture, God's perfect glory now shining in us. And that is our scope. That is our purpose, to glorify God through Jesus Christ Why should I do this? Because it brings glory to God. Why should I keep doing this? Because I want to honor and glorify my God. Not to exalt myself, not to be seen, not to be applauded, but to bring glory to him and to him alone. And nothing else should satisfy the Christian more than to know that we have brought glory to God, that his glory has been declared more audibly and visibly, more, more perceptibly, more clearly, more palpably in this world by our service. Now, if, if you're visiting with us today, you might think this is a very in-house discussion. Christians serving Christians with gifts from Jesus Christ. And it is an in-house discussion because it's an, an epistle from an apostle to the church. But Peter used the glorious work of Christ and the giftedness of the church for an evangelistic purpose also. In Acts chapter 2, which we mentioned earlier, when Peter said, this, these special things that you're seeing and hearing, this is evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. And what does it tell us about those who realized the reality of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dead, risen, and ascended? It says that their hearts were cut to the quick because they recognized we have to answer to him we have to answer to him it's all real this is not a philosophy this is this is not some abstract idea or mantra this is reality and we must be reconciled unto god because of our sinfulness and what is and so therefore jesus perfect life and death and new life is the solution to this too, because before we receive spiritual giftedness, what is that great gift that we receive in Jesus Christ? It is that great gift of salvation, that forgiveness of sins, and receiving the righteousness, the obedience of Jesus Christ that is attributed to us, so that all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ and say, I am a sinner, Please forgive me, God, for Jesus' sake. I believe in him, God in the flesh. I believe in him crucified, dead, and buried. I believe in him risen from the dead. I believe in him ascended to heaven. I believe in him sat down. I believe, forgive my sins. God says, you have it. The scriptures say that salvation is the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. 
And it is for all those who call upon the name of our Lord and Savior. So that those who heard Peter and were cut to the quick, what did he say? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And they came. They came to repent of their sins, to believe in Jesus Christ, to be baptized and to join the church. And that remains true today, that all those who receive salvation in Jesus Christ receive it freely as a gift. As we sang already, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. And then it is those people thus redeemed, thus forgiven, and given the righteousness of Christ to make them just before God. It is those ones upon whom the spoils of war are lavished and poured, who then use those spoils, who then use those gifts to serve one another in the church. So this is not just an in-house discussion. Join the house Come into the church of Jesus Christ and serve with the gifts that he gives to all of his people. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for your Son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our glorious king, our perfect prophet, we thank you that you lived and died and lived again for us and our salvation, and that you have gifted all of your church so that we can serve one another. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you have brought these gifts to us, that you have caused them to take root in our hearts and grow. And we pray that you would help us to stir up and to cultivate these gifts that we might kill the pride and the selfishness that are antithetical, that are so opposite to love and service and giftedness, and help us to be true, good stewards of this varied grace that we have received. We pray that you would help us to grow in love for one another and therefore grow in the application of love, service to one another. And we ask that you might answer this prayer and help us so that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would receive all the glory as others see your love in us and your service in us, one to another. Hear us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.